Hello and welcome back to the Accessable Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie-Anne Lightley, Head of Marketing at Accessable. And in this episode, I'm joined by Accessable Ambassador Charlie Randall. It's Disability History Month and this year's theme is Disability, Children and Youth. Charlie and I both have cerebral palsy, so we have two generations of cerebral palsy havers on the podcast today, and we're going to chat about each other's lived experiences as younger people, and maybe offer some insight into our experiences of adulthood with cerebral palsy. Hi, Charlie, thanks for joining us, welcome, please introduce yourself. Hi, thanks for introducing me Carrie, I, as Carrie said, I'm Charlie Randall, I'm a Accessable ambassador, content creator, and fellow podcaster as well. Amazing. It's so good to have you here with us today. I'm really excited about this chat. Um, Charlie and I chat a lot, um, sort of offline or away from recordings. And so I'm very excited to um, be able to bounce around some experiences with him today. It's nice to be on the other side of it as well. Yeah, yeah, I bet it must, must give a nice kind of rest or break for you to not have to be worrying about all the hosting and production side of things. Excellent. So um, I'm going to go straight into questions. Um, I would like us to think about sharing sort of pivotal, pivotal moments from childhood, maybe when we realised impact of cerebral palsy and the impact that it had on our daily lives. Um, how it influenced our outlook. So Charlie, what do you think about that? I think one of the biggest realisations I had around sort of 16, 17 was the realisation particularly like except when it comes to accepting your condition, the biggest barrier for me was almost falling into that trap of getting into the popular group when it came to secondary school. Like I wanted to be part of the popular group. That was the be all and end all. When actually when I stepped away or rolled away from that, it like made me accept my condition so much more because I was around people that actually understood me needing support wasn't something that was weird, unique or like something I was going to be teased for. It was just, oh, one of our friends happens to need an extra hand. Cool. Move on. Whereas before that experience, it was very much like almost trying to force my way in, trying to act as if everything was like fine, I don't need support when actually that was probably taking away from like my experiences because I wasn't in the moment as much because I was constantly thinking okay how can I make this work so that I don't need help whereas once I got into a more settled friendship group it was a lot easier and I think that's probably one of the big challenges when it comes to disabilities and growing up is that transition of schools like I feel like for me it was very much in primary you were very included didn't feel very different because kids don't know any different so they just take you as Charlie whereas once you get to secondary school it gets a bit more people trying to find who they are what that means find their place in life it's all a bit it all gets a bit more heavy and that was sort of my experience was as I got older and stepped away from that trying to fit in mentality and more into who am I as an individual, it made my journey with my disability so much easier and so much easier in terms of accepting that it is what it is. I can't change it. So I just got to learn how to deal with it. 
Absolutely. I, I, I nodded right the way through that answer because so much of it resonated with me. And I think that that transition stage for me was really that kind of light bulb moment or that pivotal moment. So, so we both went to sort of mainstream school, right? And yeah. um, my primary school I had been at since nursery. So I'd had the same friendship group from sort of three years old. Yeah. And you're right. They just see me as Carrie Ann. They don't see me yeah. as, as as different. I'm just I'm just Carrie Ann and, and an individual in that way. And I think it's almost sort of a privilege for those kids who were around me because they unconsciously, unknowingly are doing amazing things for disability awareness from from, you know, being tiny yeah. and inclusion. And, you know, and then I left primary, went to secondary, went to a much bigger school and suddenly found myself surrounded by people who had never seen a disabled person of their age before, mm -hmm. never interacted with a disabled person of their age before. And I felt instantly singled out. I felt instantly like I had a label put on me that I hadn't asked for, that I didn't want. And my experiences were very, very similar to yours in that I was like, right, OK, how do I make friends with these people? How do I get into this group so I'm not going to be singled out anymore? And you know, it's a huge sort of identity piece, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because that set me down a path for quite a few years where I was trying to mimic other people, where I was yeah. masking what made me me yeah. because I wanted to be more like the popular people um so yeah I think that's that's really kind of my pivotal moment as well and you know as you say being able to kind of let go of that and bring your more authentic self to the fore um you realize how much energy all of that masking takes yep and completely and, you know, these days I just I find that so draining. If I find myself in a situation where I feel that in some way I need to mask, I'm exhausted afterwards. Mm -hmm. like, it's not fun. I'm now to the point where I'm like, I can spot when I'm, I don't want to be around people when I'm like, these are people that it's almost I know I can feel myself falling back into that trap. So then I pull away from it. It's It's really weird. It's like, as you say, you have to constantly mask and constantly be someone you're not but I think the hard, weirdest thing for me was I wasn't necessarily not liked I just didn't necessarily feel like I fitted in it was very much I was the loud sort of sarcastic funny one but I didn't really have like a core group of friends that I could I could sort of float between but wasn't really settled if that makes sense yeah I you know I've had this conversation with a few people who have cerebral palsy and I think it's I think it's so interesting reflected on childhood with cerebral palsy because we've all got very similar experiences and one of one of my experiences or kind of how I feel about it is that I didn't really have anywhere that I fitted because when I would go to like the local hydrotherapy hall or the Riding for the Disabled Association mm -hmm. and go horse riding I would be surrounded by disabled people who were really severely affected mm -hmm. by disability and often severely affected by intellectual disability. And, you know, I mean, absolutely no shade to those people at all. But as a child, 
that's quite daunting that's quite you know it's unknown and it's scary and so I didn't feel like I fit there but I also didn't feel like I fit really with my non-disabled friends because Mm -hmm. again you just don't have the connection of shared experience I suppose I think the interesting thing with that is the thing of I don't know whether you had the same of when I was younger I because I didn't want to accept not necessarily didn't want to accept my disability but I didn't want to be seen as different I was very reluctant to make friends with fellow disabled people because I didn't want to fall into the stereotype and be like oh this is the stereotype that everyone pushes on me I don't want to be there when actually now it's I take a completely different view it's very much the view that you should take of a person's a person if you get along you get along it doesn't matter whether they've got a disability or not and I think it's so interesting like you say when you've got a physical impairment like us two articulation and and verbal communication is a very big thing for us because it was our biggest tool so then if you stick us in a situation where that's not the strength we we kind of freak out we don't know what to do because we that's our that's our bread and butter and it's really strange and really talking about articulation it's really hard to articulate without it sounding as you say like shade and it's not that it's just the way it's where our strength comes across because oftentimes as people with physical disabilities we get stuck at tables with adults yeah so we end up maturing a lot quicker than your average joe so i was having adult conversations probably at the age of like 12 and it's just because i was like well i can't run around with my cousins so i'll just sit and chat with I'll get involved where I can. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that as well. I mean, I I was told for, you know, a lot of my life, oh, you're so wise and you're so... And I think it is that you do spend more time with adults. You spend more time in also in medical settings around adults and having quite difficult conversations. And I think the other part of why we often kind of have to grow up quick is because a lot of the experiences personally that I went through as a child, particularly in the medical world, were quite traumatic and were quite mm-hmm. challenging. And um, so, you, you know, you do you do grow up quick because you, you sort of lose a bit of innocence in that way almost. Yeah. It's also you lose, having needing support, you lose your independence a little bit. Yeah. So then you're having to rely on adults a little bit more. So then those conversations naturally happen. And also you that it comes back to that wanting to mask because you don't want you want to mask that you need that support when actually the quicker you can get to a point where you accept that you need that support the more enjoyable things become that was what I found like with my friendship groups once I accepted that I can't put my own shoes on so I need someone to put my own shoes on once I had the conversation of hey mate I need help with my shoes are you okay to do that and it was just yeah of course it wasn't this big thing that I'd built it up in my head to be of oh, who who needs help with their shoes? Like, it wasn't that big session. And because that barrier got broken, that's an example I use all the time. I then was like, oh, I wonder if they'll be okay with this and this. And then that led to me being able to be included in, in my peer group a little bit more because it wasn't just adults that were able to support me with that. It was my main age group that were able to support me with that as well. And that's so empowering, isn't it? Once you get to a place where you can kind of understand what you need to ask for in terms of assistance or help or accommodations and and kind of also why you need to ask for it and that it's okay to ask for it then then you find yourself it's 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 like an empowerment and a liberation 
because you sort of find yourself then masking less because you're naturally more asking for what you need. Completely. And I think that then helps me with my content creation of going, actually, this isn't a big thing anymore. And I think that brought out the extra confidence in me as well, being in front of camera, messing around. I was always, always that way inclined and being in front of camera. I loved being the centre of attention, being ginger. I always was. So, yeah, it's it's interesting how it all feeds into each other. But I can never pinpoint the only thing I could pinpoint, like if, when people say, to me, what's one piece of advice you'd give? It's that getting to a point where you can accept your condition. And that's a very hard, that's not something I say and go, I'll go and do it tomorrow. But the quicker you can get to a scenario where it's getting easier to accept that, then the journey becomes a lot more enjoyable, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. It's, we're not saying that it's something that happens overnight because it can't happen overnight. It has to happen over time and with experience and with practice and and as you say you slowly find that actually you know life becomes a bit more enjoyable and a bit less daunting along that way and I think this this leads in really nicely to my next question which is um, around society's perceptions of cerebral palsy particularly in adults and how we think that's evolved over the years. I think it's interesting because I think it really depends on the group that you speak to so like I, I've seen conversations happen online where people still have this view more general of people with disabilities where we don't go out we don't have friends we don't go out for dinner we don't have partners it's still that 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 scenario of people going oh wow you're out with friends and it's it's not it's not anything that's amazing it's something that your average Joe would do but in our context it seems that the wider community think it is amazing but then on the flip side of that, you get the other side where now we're a bit more in the public eye with things like the Paralympics, the Power 100. It's not as weird to see a, a disabled guy or girl out out for the day with their friends having a good time. So I think it's it's it really depends on you all depends on exposure. And I think that's the biggest conversation is. How can we get more exposure of disability? Because the more we can expose to disability, the easier the education becomes. So like I always say that someone who's asking lots of questions about disability isn't necessarily an intrusive or horrible person. It's just you happen to be one of the first people that they've met with a disability. So then they're naturally curious and want to find out more. So I think society's done a lot to improve. But it just seems very disjointed. It really just depends on what circle you move in as to how well you understand the disability community and the struggles that we face on a day to day. So it's a really weird one to say. I definitely think we're making progress, but it does feel a little bit like it's a bit. I mean, I suppose it's no progress is linear, but it does feel a little bit disjointed. It's it's a very big question as well, isn't it? And I think, <clears throat> you know, it also depends on the environment that you're in and the context that you're in. So mm-hmm. I live in quite a small town. Um, I am instantly recognisable by most people in this quite small town because there aren't very many wheelchair users who lived here and I've always lived here. But, you know, I still get the occasional double take when I'm like out walking the dog independently. And like that, that is literally as as normal a part of my routine as brushing my teeth is. Like, I don't even think about it. Most yeah. of the time I get half around, around the block and realise I've still got my slippers on because I haven't even thought about <laughs> it before I've left the house. 
Um, so maybe that's why they're double taking. Maybe they just like the look of my slippers and they're a bit jealous <laughs> that, you know, can't wear fluffy slippers when you're walking. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it does depend on the environment because I go into a city, I come into Manchester or London or whatever, and I'm invis- I'm as invisible as everybody else. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of like that for a day or two. Like it's, it's, it's nice to have that kind of anonymity. But yeah. I also really like the fact, although I sometimes get quite annoyed that I can barely stick my head out of the front door without seeing somebody that I know, it yeah. is really, really nice to to always know that there will be somebody close by that can give me a hand if I get stuck yeah. when I'm out and about. Yeah. Um, and I have faced a couple of those situations, you know, the dog lead gets wrapped around the wheel or, you know, the brakes fail or whatever. And there's yeah. there's always somebody recognisable. And I think, you know, that's that's helpful. Um, but I think what I wanted to say particularly around perception of cerebral palsy. So, you know, it's still very much viewed in a lot of circles as a childhood condition, as a yeah. childhood disability. And I don't know a huge amount of you about your childhood experiences, but I, I can certainly speak to my own in that mm-hmm. it everything was pushed into getting me to my full potential as 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 well as we could and it was all about keeping me out of a wheelchair it was all about getting me to walk with a frame um and there were surgeries there were experimental treatments there were you know all this kind of jazz Mm -hmm. and then I got to 15 16 and all of that support literally disappeared overnight (laughs) exact same experience here exactly the same um i am a massive advocate now for not pushing someone if they if if they find that they're more capable in a wheelchair allow, allow them to be in the wheelchair because that's something i realized probably in the last six years is actually being in a wheelchair is really handy because you can still use your hands whereas a lot of the time for us on our walking frames yeah. if we try to reach for the pint of milk we just fall straight over and it's it's so it's so anxiety inducing because you're constantly worried oh I'm gonna fall over gonna fall over whereas in my wheelchair I feel a lot more stable included in conversations it's not as tiring so when I'm out with friends it's it's a lot easier and I think we need to get away from this mentality that it's like you have to be society's thing of quote-unquote normal so you every person I know who's ever palsy has been pushed to make try and make you walk try and make you use your walking frame and try and to almost achieve this masking that I don't have a disability and I think yeah. that's one of the biggest struggles when it comes to content creation is there's some some places out there that almost say that it's curable and it's not at the moment unfortunately it's not there's things we can do that make it better but this whole image of oh you just need to work harder needs to go because it puts too much pressure on the individual allow them to live their life not every and this is coming from someone who spent years in the gym and years swimming not everyone needs to be mr fit mrs fit like just if if any movement any kind of like using your body definitely helps but you don't have to be this oh i have to be in the gym every week or, or it really we need to get away from that because then it puts unnecessary pressure on individuals and not allow them to experiment into what makes your life easier is using a wheelchair ease is using a manual wheelchair easier is using an electric wheelchair easier is using crutches easier what works for you might not work for another individual getting away from that push 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 
mentality because I think that's what affects kids. Because I hated it as kids. My mum forcing me into physio, I had countless tantrums. Countless tantrums, countless mood swings. It was just endless. But then the only thing that got rid of that was because I got into sport. But it shouldn't be that way. It should just be do what you want to do. And there is definitely an element of like kids wanting to be lazy and not do anything. And the physical activity does help with your mobility and allowing you to do things. But this mentality of you've got to be pushing yourself 110% every day doesn't work. No. And like the movement should be enjoyable, right? Like that's that's yeah. the point of it. Like, like you know, you, I know that you love the gym. I love a swim. I love like a chair yoga workout or whatever. But I do that because yeah. it makes me feel good. Because I like it, not because yeah. it's going to cure my disability or anything like that. Um, and I think you know, you talked about like using a wheelchair, using a power chair, using a frame. Like I have all of those options. I'm very yep. fortunate to have all of those options. And the frame is less so about mobility for me and more about physio. Um, but what I what I try and get everybody to understand is that I might need a different option depending on the day, depending on the environment, mm-hmm. depending yep. on how I'm feeling, depending on where I'm going. I've been using my power chair at the moment for the first time in probably 18 months. And as you know, I usually use a manual chair with a powered bike attachment. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually enjoying a little break from that because the power chair is like the description of you gave of walking with a frame versus sitting in a wheelchair. A power chair to me feels super safe and I don't have to worry about braking or core control or any of those things you know it's just it's 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 like a tank wheelchair that will go anywhere (laughs) and you know it's not going to tip it's not going to tilt I'm not going to fall out and I I kind of had a bit of a moment with myself where I said and that's all right it's all right to enjoy Mm -hmm. the easier option for a little bit if that's what works for you yeah I, I think about how much of my childhood was spent doing things like physio just generally being in pain mm. and all of the messaging that was given to us at the time was you know Carrie Ann needs to do this to keep her out of a wheelchair Carrie Ann needs to do this to keep her out of a wheelchair and I did all of it and I ended up using a wheelchair anyway and mm. I'm grateful that I ended up using a wheelchair because I would not have the life that I do had I continued down the path of trying to walk with a frame and trying to walk with sticks so I wouldn't have the energy have a life I think it's really interesting because one of the things my mum really pushed me with was she was adamant he, she he can have a wheelchair but he cannot have an electric one that was the that was the big push for my mum it's like it's going to make him lazy blah 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 and I must admit since ha- I mean I'm not going to turn this into a marketing campaign for my attachment but since having an attachment it's opened so many doors right now I can go to London for drinks with friends and not have to stress about oh, I've got to push myself here, push myself there, got to go here, got to go there. Like, it's opened so many doors and it's it's that freedom, like you say, of having the choice. Like, I, I'm similar to you in a very fortunate position. I've got my walking frame, I've got crutches, I've got my attachment and I've got a lightweight wheelchair. So it is just depending on the day, what you're doing. Like you say, if you're in a tight space, wheelchairs don't really work. So that's when the crutches come in handy. Yeah. But then the other thing I wanted to touch on as we're talking about being younger and 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 the advice we give i also want to give some advice to the older generation and that's the older generation that aren't necessarily disabled they just have deteriorating 
mobility and that is accept the help because you will get so much more enjoyment out of your life the sooner you accept that things naturally will your mobility naturally will decrease if there's something out there that will help you use it because that's something I've experienced myself of go, trying to be like say trying to fit that stereotype of I got to be out of a wheelchair got to be out of a wheelchair the sooner I realize actually these things are here to help me the more easy enjoyable fun life became because I was like oh well if I need to do this task I can use this bit of equipment or if I need to do this I can use this or I might have a day where I don't need any of it yeah. and it's, it's a, it just opens up your world doesn't it completely it's almost like a eureka moment like yeah. I, I remember like once I sort of put all the pieces together of like what equipment I needed when the door just doors just opened I was like oh my god I can go out and do this on my own I can go out and do this on my own like it's it's so freeing yeah. and I think that would be why one piece one of my pieces of advice to younger me was except like look at any piece of equipment any like new style of getting around whether that be crawling whether that be um I don't know just anything that's different that you were a bit like wary of because it looked strange or it was different try and step away from it and look at it as if how is it is it going to help me is it going to open a door for me because if it is do it yeah yeah what are the opportunities and I just want to give a moment actually to what you said in that there I just want to give a moment to crawling right because I owe a lot of my independence to crawling my my physio said that when I was a child when you know when she first came to see me I was already kind of crawling and bunny hopping around the room because there was no stopping me it's not like oh no Carrie-Anne can't get there because she can't walk it's like no Carrie-Anne will find a way to get there (laughs) um and you know even to this day I am still grateful to be able to use my knees when I need to to get around in a way that suits me. But I don't talk about it publicly a lot because I think people, a, shame. a lot of people don't yeah. get it. And there's a shame to it. It's almost like, oh, that's a king a kid does. Yeah. But then actually it's just a thing that is a tool that we use to support us. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. I, like, it was funny enough. I guarantee anyone that's not got cerebral palsy or a disability where crawling's a thing, they have no idea what the term body hopping means. And you said it and I went, I know exactly what you mean because I do it all the time. Yeah, and you know, just today I put a photo on my Instagram story this morning and I did like an outfit of the day photo and I did it on my knees rather than waiting until I could be in front of a mirror in my wheelchair and get the perfect shot because actually that's how I check my outfit in the morning I get on my knees and get in front of the mirror so yeah I suppose it's um yeah my if I was thinking about advice to give to my to my younger self it would be kind of um yeah just just as much as you can just do you be Mm -hmm. you and don't worry what anybody else thinks about it and I think the other thing along the lines of kind of your advice that you gave to yourself would be um also like don't be afraid to tell the adults when you don't like something or when you don't want to do something mm-hmm. or when actually it hurts too much and this doesn't feel right. Because I was I was a very passive little girl and I was always really praised by the medical professionals around me for never complaining. And reflecting on that as an adult, I think it wasn't really because I didn't have anything to complain about <laughs> it was mm. that I f- didn't feel 
that I have the space or the voice to do that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, completely relate to that. Obviously, people would probably know me and be like, oh, you used to shout and holler. But then it was very much like I had a, at home. I very much knew that I was the younger one. So I kind of had to go along with what mum and dad said and crack on. Whereas, as you say, you look at it afterwards and go, why was I doing that? Like there was exercises that I was made to do that I knew in the back of my head, no matter how many times I did it, I was never going to be able to do it. But I still gave it my best shot. And and like you say, it's that whole thing of just giving the power back to the disabled person. Yeah. It's a really, really strong one. Actually, one question, I, if you don't mind, that I want to ask was, what's your view when it comes to surgeries in young people because there's a big discussion at the moment with like including young people in that discussion and I'm very split on this having been through surgery where my parents made but all of my surgeries my parents made the decision I, my last surgery I was 12 major it was a major surgery but I was 12 so as much as I wasn't happy with it they went ahead and did it and it turned out it was a massive benefit for me but what is your opinion on the discussion of bringing young people into the the discussion of what surgeries they have because I think it's really tricky because we can't understand like obviously no one really knows the impact of the surgery but it's really hard for a young person to wrap their head around if that makes sense yeah yeah this is this is a super topical one for me actually because I've been I've been doing a bit of work in this space with the cerebral palsy community recently I actually did a conference session a couple of weeks ago where we talked a lot around this theme um because I didn't feel like I had a voice in any of those rooms. I had a lot of surgery between the ages of six and nine. So I was very young, didn't feel like I had a voice. And I didn't understand what was happening to me or why it was happening to me. And, and I want to take a minute to explain that. What I didn't understand was because, you know, in a six-year-old's brain, you go to hospital to be fixed when you're not very well. Yeah. and Prior to my surgery, I was running around with a K walker. I was, you know, crawling around the garden after my way. Yep. I was, my favourite thing to do was to drag my K walker up to the top of the hill at the end of our street and then sit on the back of it and fly down the hill. Yep. Yep. Um, and I used to do that in the school playground as well. And it was like the teachers were like, we should tell her off. But no, we're not going to. Um, yep. so, so that is all to say, I didn't you know in my six-year-old brain didn't think that there was anything that needed to be fixed mm. didn't think that there was anything that was wrong with me and I would I think you know it has to be age appropriate it has to be yeah. age appropriate and any kind of medical conversation is daunting even as an adult right yeah but I think that it would have benefited me to have had some age appropriate chat about what was going to happen and why it was yeah. happening and what I should expect because it's scary right when you're that kid and you're going through more pain than you've ever been through before and you don't really understand why it's scary Mm -hmm. it was yeah I completely agree I think it's it's because my second surgery I've only had uh well I've had three but two were in a very short space of each other um my first surgery was when I was age six and it was a case of I got a cancellation, was coming back from a family holiday and went straight from the airport straight to um, the hospital. 
So that was a very traumatic experience. So if I'm having a great time on holiday, bosh, you are now in hospital and now in two casts. And wow, that one, yeah, that's that's like a hell of a flip to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, it was it was quite intense. And so at that time, I didn't really understand what was going on. I was just kind of in a like sitting in a hospital bed, having this weird cream put on my hand, and then all of a sudden taken down. So that one, there was a lot less discussion. And like you say, that was where I'd probably want some more age-appropriate discussions. Whereas my second surgery, which was SDR, a very heavy-duty surgery, very intensive meant a, a lot of recovery there was a lot more discussion around that and I still wasn't happy with, with going for it but my parents made the overall decision now after that after having that experience I can say now that I'm glad I had the surgery because it did open a lot of opportunities for me but at the time as a 12 year old boy I I didn't want to I didn't want to go through that pain again I remembered I had the trauma of when I was six but that's because at the time I didn't fully understand what was going on whereas now I kind of knew what was coming but yeah it's such a re I'm not articulating the point very well but it's it's really hard to try and get a, the right answer to give to maybe parents or young people that are going through the journey because it's one that there's no right or wrong answer I don't think right. a parent's a bad parent for not having the discussion because they it's almost ignorance is bliss but then on the flip side having a bit of awareness of what's going to happen might make the journey a little bit smoother so I think there's six of one half a dozen of the other and it's really hard to form yeah, a point. I agree I think it's a real grey area and and I think what I would say as well in in fairness to thinking about the parent position you know I can only speak to what I know but I know that my parents weren't particularly educated about you know what might happen what the they, they kind of they knew what the what the hope was the hope was to give me more mobility yeah. right yeah. but they didn't really know anything other than that and they were and yeah. they weren't particularly supported by the people around them to to make any other kind of choice and you know as I say I'm a bit older than you so this was early 90s they couldn't just hop on google and research it there wasn't even like a local support group that they could have spoken yeah. to so i think that i hope that things are changing in that way and what i would say what i would always always advocate for is age appropriate psychological support for any child undergoing probably any kind of surgery but anything that's that's you know life-changing like what we went through absolutely some some proper psychological support I think definitely speaking as well speaking to someone that's obviously more or I'm more talking your early teens in that scenario definitely speaking to someone that's your age that's been through it because then you can ask the questions that necessarily your parents might not have picked up on and that was one thing I was grateful of when I did have SDR in the States, my roommate was older than me, had far more surgeries than me. So it was very much like he knew the game plan. So I could almost feed off of him. Although we were, he was American, I was English. It was kind of, well, you've been through all of this before. What happens next? Yeah. And that was a massive like relief for me because I was able to speak to someone who was going through it or had been through it and say, what 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 do we do whereas my parents kind of 
after the surgery weren't sure what was going to happen next. As you say, there's only so much research you can do, and every everyone's body reacts differently. And and also, you know, physically, when I was that age, cerebral palsy was very much still labelled as non-progressive at that point. Mm. And you know, what we know now is that the the impairment in terms of the brain is non-progressive but that the impact of living in a body with cerebral palsy means that we can face more injuries we can face things like you know premature aging and I don't mean that in a way that says that we're, we should be collecting our pensions at 35 <laughs> but that you know our bodies are under more strain so um so that there is there is wear and tear that others would not um experience at, yes. at our age and and there was just no awareness of that at all at the time when I was having surgery so it was like oh, this will fix everything like we'll do this and then she won't need any more help and it'll be it'll be all good it's it's really interesting because coming just as a, a closing point on this I so as as I've touched on already when I got back from the states from my surgery I had a lot of battles with my parents in regards to the physio because it was very intensive. It was very much a case of you got to do the work, otherwise you're going to end up worse than you started out. Then, like a lot of disabled people, not to turn this into an inspiration piece, got inspired by London 2012 and then got involved in sport and, and health and everything else. And actually, by getting involved in that and something I enjoyed, found an enjoyment of, it got to the point where I'd go back to doctors to say, is there anything else I need to do? And they'd kind of go, no not really you're doing everything you need to be doing but you're doing it in a way that you enjoy so keep doing what you're doing and that was it and got signed off from all my doctors and they said right crack on if something goes wrong come back to us but at the moment as it stands there's nothing we can do to help you and that was that yeah and I think it's yeah as I said it's about finding enjoyable movement finding mm. finding movement that serves you in more than just a physical way um because we all need that right everybody as particularly as they get older needs to think about how they're moving their bodies and how they're looking after their bodies but people with cerebral palsy especially so i've got one last question to finish and we've yeah. touched on this throughout but this is sort of your bottom line point um what advice would you give to any younger disabled people who are listening now as i've said before one of the pieces of advice that i constantly come back to is the sooner you can start the journey of accepting your disability whether that be cerebral palsy or not um the the easier not the easier life becomes but the easier the journey becomes because you see it more as it opens opportunities or it's given you a different perspective now some people obviously their disability affects them in different ways but unfortunately particularly when it comes to cerebral palsy it's not going to go anywhere so I found the quicker I got to the point where I was starting to accept my condition the easier and more enjoyable life became and that's not to say that I'm happy go lucky nothing ever goes wrong I'm always happy clappy Charlie that's me saying 95% of the time maybe 90% of the time I'm all good. I'm comfortable. That 10% of the time, yes, there are times when I sit there and go, I really wish I wasn't dealt this card, but majority of the time I'm okay. So that would probably be my advice. And I know it's not, I flick the switch and it's it's there tomorrow, but 
just start the journey and start learning about things you enjoy, things you can do, things you can't do, because as well, lean into what you can do. Like, stop worrying about things you can't change and lean into the things that you're actually good at, because that's actually going to probably open a few more opportunities for you. And I think my my piece of advice would kind of tag on to the end of Charlie's and would be carry no shame about being different because your difference is where you will find where you can shine. And, you know, we shine regardless of our difference. We shine because of our difference. And Charlie and I both talked about the time that we spent trying to mask ourselves and trying to be more like other people and I think a really important part of acceptance and of letting go of shame is learning what you like learning mm-hmm. what you enjoy learning what you want out of your life and not focusing on those things around other people's paths Completely. so Thank you, Charlie. I feel like we could literally talk all evening about these different experiences. But thank you so much for sharing your insight. This has been a really enjoyable episode for me. I feel like it's almost been kind of therapeutic for me as well to be able to bounce some of this around. So thank you very much. And please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your work. Oh, this is always a fun one because no matter how many times I say it, I always get tongue tied. So you can find me at N underscore Q underscore P underscore C on most platforms or just Google my name and I appear. So that's Charlie Randall with E double L on the end. Amazing. Thank you again, Charlie. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And thank you to our producer, Lucy Woods, who without this podcast would not be possible. Thanks for listening to the Accessible Podcast. If you want to find out more about our work and mission, you can visit www.accessable.co.uk, visit our social media pages at Accessable UK on most channels, or email marketing at accessable.co.uk. 